Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, I'm Hawk Week editor Matthew Appleby, and this is the Hawk Week podcast. Today, we're talking about the art of application with Sam Rivers, ICL Technical Controls Manager, and Sean Lokes, Syngenta Ornamentals Technical Manager. So, hello both. I saw you both at the uh, ICL Live, Science Live recently event at um, Bransford Web. Sam, did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was uh, really good. It was uh, nice to see everyone in the industry come together. I've been really enjoying all the events over this summer as we're coming out of lockdown a bit. Uh, yeah, it's just really nice to see everyone in the industry enjoying it. Yeah, so Sean, there's about 100 people there. So uh, first time for um, three years that that's happened. So um, how did you find it? Yeah, it was a bit overwhelming in a way to see everybody, but so good. And you could there was such good energy from um, sort of people not being able to do face-to-face meetings for so long. So it was so good to get so many um, of the industry together in one place to to catch up and network as well. Brilliant. Um, we'll get stuck into um, our subject at hand. So, Sean, why is this focus on spray application? Why, why is it? Well, it's something I presented on at, um, at Hort Science Live last week, and it's it's an area we're really looking to um, to hopefully sort of give a good message on. Um, even compared to just five years ago, the options available to growers in terms of chemical controls are, are dramatically reduced. And so the ones that we've got left, it's even more important than ever to be able to sort of make those products work effectively. And, and then what we did at the show was we tried to not speak too much about specific chemistry. So obviously I'm from Syngenta, but I tried not to speak about specific products, just more in general terms of getting the most out of a product. So whether that's an insecticide, a fungicide or something like a biostimulant or a liquid biological that you're applying, there's some sort of key points that you can get that if you can get right in your spray, you can get better performance out of those. And these are products that growers are spending money on and we just want them to sort of make sure that they're getting the most out of that money and also they're sort of reducing any potential environmental impacts as well so it's, it's good for the growers and it's good for the environment as well. No well, I saw your session certainly go down well with lots of feedback so Sam where do you think the industry is heading in this regard? Yeah a big a big driver for the focus on correct spray application it's it's largely been down to a lot of legislation 
uh, with regards to the environmental issues that you can sometimes see uh, from the use of uh, plant protection products such as pesticides. And some of the legislation, particularly regards safeguarding our water quality, uh, which is of course of utmost importance. Uh, so for example, the groundwater regulations and Water Resources Act uh, allows for more power to hold those accountable who, who do not adhere to the legislation and act irresponsibly, which I, I think is just a really good thing. And furthermore, there's a, a real large emphasis um, being placed on training uh, spray operators to the, the highest standards, not only on like the spray operation, but also on the environmental implications uh, that can that can arise if, it, if it's not done correctly. Uh, we also have things like the, the voluntary initiative, uh, which was introduced to promote the responsible and sustainable use of plant protection products through uh, an IPM approach. So you have schemes such as a national sprayer testing scheme and national register of spray op operators, uh, which were also formed to help promote this professional practice that we're starting to real, really see in the industry. And is there anything else we need to sort of consider? Well, I think you just have to look at the, the current uh, global economic climate, and that's certainly playing a role. Uh, we're seeing increasing costs in almost every industry and, and horticulture. It, it's really no different. Uh, and this is where it's really important to train staff accordingly uh, who use these products, as it will help uh, prevent the incorrect and irresponsible applications, which can add further costs, uh, which is really the last thing anyone wants right now. Uh, and it's also the way we advise, which has also changed. Uh, again, largely based on legislation, uh, we have this uh, directive called the Sustainable Use Directive, which is now uh, law in the UK and Europe. And at Horse Science Live, I touched on this a little bit. Um, and all growers you know, who, who don't follow this legislation are essentially breaking the law. Um, but it promotes the sustainable use of plant protection products on, on the nursery and gives us guidance on how to raise and protect our crops uh, which is also known as the hierarchy of control. Uh, the hierarchy of control outlines what control options should be utilized in order of priority, uh, as the name suggests. Uh, so cultural control is the first option all growers should really consider when looking to control any issue on the nursery, be it a pest, weed or disease. Uh, and it, you know, cultural control includes factors such as irrigation, climate control and nursery hygiene, uh, to name just a few things um, but then under this hierarchy of control is then followed by biological control as the next step so products such as biostimulants and beneficial insects all fall into this category uh, and then after that comes the physically acting products so products which uh, don't have a biochemical action here say but uh, for example a product might suffocate an organism by blocking its respiratory organs but it doesn't actually enter the target itself uh, and then lastly, under this hierarchy of control, we have the chemical approach, uh, which is, of course, last due to the growing pressure with regards to the environment and public health implications that can arise from the use of these products. Uh, so as we stick to this legislation, uh, growers have to form their IPM plans based on these principles, and it helps reduce the need for, for the chemical approach. But there are going to be times when a chemical active is required. So when this is considered necessary, it becomes incredibly crucial that the chosen product is applied correctly and for the right situation to avoid any issues and also help to reduce the cost. Thanks, Sam. Let's uh, bring Sean back in. So, Sean, what are the uh, the benefits to the grower of getting a spray right? 
Well, as Sam's talked on there, you know, we, we've all, we all know about the, um, the IPM pyramid and the chem chemistry is that really small bit at the top of the pyramid. And, and we're happy with it being that small bit and it's, it's for when it's needed. But it's just really important to sort of get that bit right, because if you're going to do it, it is going to have a small environmental impact. So you need to make sure you mitigate that. So it's just making sure that we control things like drift. So drift is something we normally think about in an outdoor situation. You know, we've got wind or turbulence as a boom is moving fast in a field. But it can also be a factor in an indoor situation under glass as well. So if we're doing lots of fine droplets, which we might want to get really good coverage over a plant, we're going to have more drift. And so you're going to get more of that going onto pathways and onto other crops in the nursery that maybe you don't need them to be going on. So anything you can do to re reduce drift. And there's a, a big range out there of um, drift reduction nozzles that are available now and just controlling the pressure and keep it in optimum ranges. And generally, these will be on informational leaflets with the nozzles, but just little things like that. They don't cost very much for the growers, but they can be really impactful in making sure all that product that they've paid for goes onto the target. So if you're targeting something like an aphid, there's no point it being on the paths or in the pots. You want it to be on the leaves where they're where they're actively active so you can get that really good contact and you can make the products work really hard for you. Now back to Sam. What, what other considerations can you make uh, when you're spraying? Well, as, as Sean said, it's, it's really important that when we're spraying, we're making sure the amount of active ingredient is reaching its target and we're reducing the amount of wastage as much as possible. Uh, and this is where you can utilize other products such as adjuvants, uh, which can actually add a real benefit to spray applications. Uh, they can result in improved uptake, uh, retention and coverage of the product and reduce the risk of runoff, which is a really important factor. Uh, and they're becoming more widely used in ornamental horticulture. Uh, which again, I think is due to a few factors such as rising costs, reduced chemical use and environmental concerns such as runoff. Uh, a good example of an adjuvant is Elasto G5, which is a product from Syngenta. Um, and this is an adjuvant specifically for the ornamentals industry. And it's based on polyglycerol and coconut fatty acids, so green chemistry. Uh, and we've got a lot of trials data highlighting, you know, the improved performance of products such as herbicides, pesticides and fungicides when used in conjunction with products such as Elasto. And one of the benefits from the trials I've seen is that it's been shown that when it's combined with a lower dose rate of a plant growth regulator, for example, it performed just as well as the full rate without Elasto. Uh, and this is likely due to the increased retention of the, the plant growth regulator on the leaf surface, uh, which results in less runoff and more active on, on the target. Uh, and the benefit here is improved performance, but also has an environmental benefit due to decreased use of, of the active and also has a cost saving advantage. Um, of course, you have to consider the use of adjuvants based on what products you're using. Some products already have adjuvants added into the formulation. So adding another one isn't, isn't always required, uh, but the use of adjuvants will definitely become more and more prevalent as, as I see it, as we start to see more restrictions on the usage of chemicals and increases in the legislation regarding the environment and public health. Sean, um, what's the most important thing to get right, do you think? So this is something we've talked about a lot in Syngenta and it's, it's really just the decision. So making a conscious decision about what you want to achieve. So if we're talking about a contact acting insecticide, you want to give that product the best possible chance 
to do what it needs to do. So sometimes we'll be thinking about trying to save time. So mixing different products in a tank and, that, and that's good. If the products are compatible, that's really nice to do because you're, you're saving time. But if those two things are a compromise, so if one of the products needs to be in the soil, one of them needs to be a folio left on the leaf for a contact application, then by spraying those two things together, you're going to be compromising either one or both of those products. So neither of them are going to be performing to their to their highest standards. So where you can, you would split products like that because you want one of the products, you want to be washing it off the leaf so it's into the soil. It's not it's not staying on the leaf because any product left on the leaf isn't going to affect vine weevil, for example. And then if you're talking about a foliar acting product, any product that's going into the soil is wasted. You've paid for it, but it's not, it's not doing any good for you. So always refer to the label, but it's just considering kind of what that decision is, what you want to achieve and how you're best going to do it. And if you aim at something, you're much more likely to, to achieve it, which is always an important thing. I think it's also really important to think about the sprayer and the setup and the nozzles, making sure they're in really good working order. We talk about pre-flight checks, so just making sure none of those nozzles are blocked and doing regular calibrations on the, the sprayer unit to make sure it's in really good working order and you're not going to be you know, missing a row because one of your nozzles is, is blocked or is broken. So that can have a really good impact and it's, it's just a few minutes of someone's time before a spray. Okay. Are there any other factors that affect spray quality? Yeah, there's, there's loads and loads to think about. So it, it makes it quite a complicated thing. And I can see why a lot of people just want to get behind the spray and just, just get it over with. But it is one of those things. You've got a lot of, we call them like levers that you can pull on to sort of affect your spray. So the first important one of those is going to be water volume. So um, the label will guide you on this, but just consider your plant architecture. So if you've got a leaf that's got higher wax content in those leaves, you'll see runoff more quickly. So you would tend to err on the lower spectrum of sort of water volume because you're going to it's going to be able to hold less on the leaf and also like sam said something kind of adjuvant there is going to help you hold it on the leaf and and hold it back from runoff and if it's something that's sort of very large plant very dense then maybe you're going to have to do a higher water volume to sort of push deeper into the canopy of that plant so it's considering water volumes the first one is a really really important thing to consider next one is going to be nozzle choice so just deciding what kind of profile of droplets that gives so if you're going to give coarse droplets that's going to be really good for pushing down through the plant they're going to travel with a lot of energy and they're going to go down towards the soil so for something like a soil application coarse droplets are going to be really really good so a larger nozzle something like an 08 and then if you want it to stay on the leaf course it's going to be really bad because they're going to be hitting with a lot of energy and then much more likely to splash off so changing your nozzles between sprays can be really really good and something a lot finer a foliar application nozzle is going to be better if you want to be keeping it on the leaf and not not washing it off okay um does um pressure have an effect on droplet size yeah, so this is something we, we talk about a lot, and it's a strange kind of relationship. So you'd normally think, right, well, I've got this dense plant, you know, really awkward plant architecture, quite a mature plant. I want to I want to raise the pressure because I really want to push my spray down into it. And that sort of makes sense, doesn't it? You're like, if you fire an arrow, if you pull back the bow really far, it's going to shoot that arrow really far. So you add, add pressure, you add distance, whereas it doesn't quite work as simply as that in spray technology. Whereas you raise the pressure, you're actually, what you're doing is increasing the number of very fine droplets. And these very fine droplets that produce, because it's forcing it out the same size nozzle aperture those very very fine droplets don't have very much um, mass so they don't travel down as you'd like them to so yeah you're forcing more pressure through but it doesn't mean it forces down harder it just means the flow of air goes down further but because the droplets are so small they're much more likely to just brush off the plant and not land on the plant and stay up as drift so actually something like a mid-sized droplet where it's got a little bit more weight 
is going to be better for that pushing down into the plant and bouncing off a few leaves and going down a little bit further. So it's one of those things that seems a bit strange to talk about, but yeah, raising the pressure can be actually problematic. And that can also happen if, if you have a few block nozzles, you'll be raising the pressure in your other nozzles on the boom. So it's something to watch out for and just making sure you keep pressure in that optimum range. Okay. What, what about boom height? Um, what, what should that be? Yep. So boom height's really, really important to get right. So, um, all the research Syngenta's done has suggested that an optimum boom height of about 50 centimetres is really good to reduce drift. And when you think about a boom or, you know, even something like a, a, a knapsack application, your nozzle is designed to have a specific pattern. And if you go beyond the realms of that pattern, then it's going to change and it's not going to be as efficient as what it was designed to do. So 50 centimetres above the target is where you want to be. If you double that, so if you keep, if you've just sprayed a tall crop and then you move on to a small crop and there's a meter now between your sprayer nozzle and the crop, you won't double the drift. It'll actually be 10 times as much drift. So you'll be losing a lot more product. So it's just something really, really important to consider that as you go along, even if it's with a knapsack, keeping that constant distance to the plant so that you're getting an even coverage. And sometimes we think getting really close with a knapsack lance is good, but actually you're not giving the right drift. It's just going to be running off the leaf. So just keeping that sort of boom height consistent is really, really important, can have a really good effect. Right. Um, what about the effect of uh, forward speed when you're making an application? Yeah, I think we all want to get our daily tasks done as quick as possible. I know that I do with my emails, you know, you want to fly through, get through all those daily tasks as quickly as you can. But um, forward motion, whether it's with a boom sprayer or with a knapsack is something that's going to have a big impact. So even if you're not spraying outside, even if you're under glass, you're going to get something called the turbulence factor. So as the faster you move, the more sort of backwind you're going to get through that spray and it's going to cause a lot more drift. So just moving at a constant speed is going to give you a lot better coverage because you're not sort of forcing the droplets into the air and they're going to go down directly. So keeping it in a constant speed is, is going to really be beneficial there. Back to Sam, have you got um, any examples we can hear about? Yeah, well, there's a lot to, to absorb there. Um, I think a, a good example would actually be the use of, of nematodes for, you know, vine weevil larval control. Uh, being a living organism, they actually highlight some of the more unusual challenges, uh, which are important to consider, especially as the industry is uh, starting to use more and more biological products under this kind of sustainable use directive. Uh, so when we talk about nematodes, you know, they can generally be applied in a variety of ways, such as overhead irrigation, a sprinkler system, a knapsack or even a watering can uh, but there's so many practical considerations to make uh, to really optimize their application so first when we consider our application equipment we have to look at a few factors um, you know we generally look at you know any filters on the spray equipment fine mesh filters can clog quite quickly when we use nematodes so we have to remove any filters smaller than 50 mesh uh, which is equivalent to 0.3 mil or smaller uh, next, we look at things like the pump pressure being used. And again, as nematodes are living organisms, they're, they're quite affected by this. Um, they are quite robust, but we generally don't recommend exceeding 300 PSI, which is uh, it's equivalent to about 20 bar. Um, and pump pressure will also be a factor which determines the time it takes to apply the nematodes. A higher water pr pressure will result in increased flow rate, which will then speed up the application. And of course, opposite, a lower flow rate will slow down the application. So some, some knapsacks, for example, uh, they've got quite a low flow rates and can often be quite time consuming when you're applying nematodes to achieve the, the recommended rate. Uh, and in some cases, if you have the option, it, it might be worth utilizing different equipment. Then looking at the other principles, we look at things like nozzle aperture. Uh, suitable nozzles uh, for nematode applications should produce a medium or coarse spray 
and this should be graded in 0.5 mil. Um, as Sean said, coarse droplets are going to push down through the plant towards the growing media, uh, which is where we want the nematodes to be, as this is where the, the vine weevil larvae are. Uh, and this will be particularly important for really dense canopy crops uh, where it's harder to penetrate the canopy. Uh, you can also look to utilize other products to help with this. Um, I, you know, I mentioned elasto earlier, which helps with coverage and retention on the leaf surface. Uh, but here we want nematodes to disperse evenly into the growing medium. So retention on leaf surface is not going to be suitable. So you could utilize a product such as a penetrant, which aids uh, even dispersion of nematode suspensions in the growing media and reduces the surface tension of the nematode suspension, um, which is going to be particularly useful here. Uh, again, especially for dense canopy crops, uh, as it helps the nematodes reach their target environment much quicker. Uh, and these are just some of the considerations we have to look at when applying nematodes, um, but getting these factors correct will go a long way in terms of optimizing their application. Okay, and what about if you need some more information, Sean, where, where can you look? Yeah, and I, I just feel, you know, it's such a hard area for, for ornamentals growers. I mean, if, when you talk about agriculture, they've maybe got one or two crops that they're spraying and it's really simple stuff. And you just think of the different, the hundreds of different kinds of plants that ornamentals growers are having to deal with day in, day out, and all the different types of architecture those plants have got and different growth stages. It's a really, really challenging area. So we're trying to give as much support as we can. So on the Syngenta Ornamentals UK website, there's some really good information. There's some short videos on the art of application are there, along with them. Um, horticulture blog which has got some really really good resources in there for growers so we're trying to give as much information as we can because we know it's a really really tough area for growers no indeed um sam anything to add at the end here yeah as, as we're going forward and in, into the future it's, it's going to be all about really considering how you approach these issues you encounter in the nursery uh, and think about how you could optimize the process uh, through some of the principles we've shared today you know can you change the nozzle type or spray equipment to achieve better results um, and can you add other products which help give you better efficacy or, or eliminate the use uh, for a chemical entirely uh, there's a whole host of information on on the icl and as sean said the syngenta ornamentals websites uh, so please contact us for any advice or information you need brilliant now sam i'm gonna spare you this question because we've asked you it at least once probably more times but in the hot week podcast sean we always ask our guests what plant would you take to a desert island if you could only take one? What do you reckon? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think it would have to be a lemon tree for me. And that's not just because I love lemons and, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But also um, I've always grown them from seed and I've, I love having it as an office plant. And I'm, I'm working from home now, so it's it struggles with me in the winter. But it would be so happy on a desert island with me. So I think it would, as long as I could get the salinity down in the soil, I think it would be um, really happy there. And it would give me some nice lemons to produce as well. It would be nice to see it looking healthy for once. <laughs> Great choice. Well, thanks a lot to Sean Lokes from... Syngenta and to Sam Rivers from ICL and I'm Matthew Appleby, Horticulture Week editor. Now make sure you never miss a Hort Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Hort Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. So once again, thanks to Sam and Sean and goodbye for now. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365 day returns.